This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Olivia, before we get started, as always, it's wonderful to see you. How are you? How has your week been? Oh, I'm doing just fine and dandy, John. How are you? My week's been pretty good. I'm visiting my family right now. My nephew turned 14 today, which just blows my mind because he should still be like three. Well, congratulations and happy birthday, nephew. Hopefully it was a great birthday for you. And I'm just glad that you're getting time to, you know, spend time with the family and be around people that you care about. I know it's always, you know, a benefit when you get the opportunity. Yeah. How was your week? My week was good. I had family coming to town last week. We stayed at an Airbnb here in Nashville that had ski ball, uh, fast and furious racing. There was a pool table. There was like a whole arcade in the garage, which was really cool. Uh, and the kids loved it. There was a pool. So they had a blast. And then I found out this week that I have high cholesterol. So yes, I am yes, you do. working on that. And I will tell you, folks, if you ever start a podcast, start a podcast with a nurse practitioner because you can send them screenshots of the labs and be like, when am I going to die? And then they will be very honest with you. But <laughs> honest with love, honest with love, John, I want you here. Yeah. Olivia was quite lipid with me. I see what I did there. That's, <laughs> a, that's did a cholesterol there. pun. <laughs> But no, I was telling you before the show. Now I'm like, uh, uh, this week I've been like a raisin brand. I went to a senior citizen like overnight. I mean, raisin brand crunch and like fresh fruit only. That's like and the black only thing I'm eating and black coffee, cutting out the coffee creamer for sure. I'm proud of you. One step at a time. Thank you. The only real true crime is that I can't eat pizza and burgers and all that moderation. You can have it all in moderation. Yeah, but I can't have it for a while. I got to like get things under control before I can be a, it was something you may not know about me. I either put my foot on the gas a hundred percent and I'm like, I'm not eating any of this anymore. Or it is all that I eat. And I completely like let up. It's like, there's no in between. So that's what I'm working on is being healthy and finding a routine and being kind of in the middle somewhere. So 
A balance. Yeah, trying to find a balance. Yeah, it's hard. But I'm sure the listeners are like, cool story, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting old. Yeah, hey there, Grandpa. Um, So I don't know. This week is your week. I was looking at your notes. The case sounded kind of familiar, but as we were diving through, I was like, I don't know if I know this one. So I'm really excited to talk about it with you, break it down. But you know, I love these cases that take, you know, years and years and years to solve. So super excited. Do you think we should just jump into it? Yeah, well, this one's going to take a few decades. We know those tend to be my favorite. I think there's always lots of details and it always makes for good conversation. So I don't know. Should we just jump into it and break it down? What do you think? Yeah, let's get started. All right, let's do it. During Memorial Day weekend, 1996, Cal Poly University students in California were leaving campus for the holiday. Kristen Smart, a 19-year-old freshman, was struggling to adjust to college life, and she was finding it hard to be away from her family. This included her parents, Stan and Denise, and siblings, Matt and Lindsay. Kristen was invited to her first party by her classmates the Friday of the holiday weekend, and she convinced her introverted dorm neighbor, Margarita Campos, to come along. Despite feeling tired, Margarita reluctantly agreed to attend, but eventually she lost interest and decided to head back to her dorm. Kristen urged her to stay, but Margarita left the party alone. Before she left, Margarita gave the keys to the dorm to Kristen as she had left her purse behind and did not have her set. Hours later, at around 2 a.m., an intoxicated Kristen left the party with two people, Cheryl Anderson and Tim Davis, who were assisting her home. During their walk, Paul Flores approached the trio. He was another student at the school and familiar with the friends. Paul told Cheryl and Tim that his dorm was closest to Kristen's and he assured them he would get her back to her room safely. Sadly, this would be the last time anyone would see Kristen smart. Kristen was born February 20th, 1977 in Germany. Both of her parents were teachers, and shortly after her birth, her family relocated to Stockton, California. Kristen was an adventurous free spirit who loved swimming and skiing, and in the summer, she spent her time traveling. She was an exchange student in Venezuela and a lifeguard at a camp in Hawaii. Kristen graduated from Stockton Lincoln High School, and she was encouraged by her parents to attend California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo. Cal Poly was located just 250 miles away from Stockton, and the town and college were both known to be safe. When Kristen hadn't returned, Margarita reported this to Cal Poly police. However, the police did not seem concerned that the 19-year-old was missing. They thought that she was probably out having fun, or maybe she had returned home to Stockton for the weekend. But Kristen's family spent the weekend at a swim meet with her two younger siblings. And Denise, Kristen's mother, was expecting to hear from her on Sunday evening. When Kristen never called, Denise grew worried. This part of the story infuriates me, where it is a friend has called and was like, hey, something's wrong. This person hasn't come home. This is very strange. And they're like, nah, she's out partying. It's college. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've talked about this before, but there are cases where like maybe someone's missing and it's like they're a runaway or something like that. And it's that failure to act in the beginning. Because I have a feeling I know where this case is going. And it feels like if they would have acted from the jump, maybe things are going to turn out a little bit differently. And it's just, I don't know. It just makes me sad. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it was just like, do your job. That's your job. Do it. Yeah. Like who says there has to be a time limit on when we actually report people missing? Like there's a lot of cases where like, oh, the first 48 hours, we'll just have to wait. We just wait and see, wait and see. Well, that's why it's called the first 48, because a lot can be done and you can miss a lot of things if you're not acting on things quickly. 
even if let's say she was out partying or something like that or came back like two days later, wouldn't you rather know? Go look for what ditch she's in. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't go- you rather know that she isn't in a hospital somewhere? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just, it really gets under my skin. Agreed. Now, remember, this is Memorial Day weekend, so she went missing on Friday. Um, so now on Monday, Cal Poly police called the Smart family to see if Kristen had been home for the weekend. And when her family informed them she hadn't, they began to investigate. At this point, it had been 48 hours since Kristen was last seen walking home with classmates from the party. The Smarts tried to file a missing persons report, but were told it was too early. And desperate to find their child, Kristen's parents contacted the FBI but they told the family that the Cal Poly campus police oversaw the investigation. Meanwhile, Margarita continued to insist to police that her friend was missing. She knew this because when Kristen's roommate returned, all of her belongings were in the same spot where she left them on Friday night. Now, finally, a full week after Kristen had been reported missing by her friend and parents, Cal Poly police filed an official missing persons report. In one of the reports, the campus police stated, Smart does not have any close friends at Cal Poly. Smart appeared to be under the influence of alcohol on Friday night. Smart was talking with and socializing with several different males at the party. Smart lives her life in her own way, not conforming to typical teenage behavior. These observations are in no way applying that her behavior caused her disappearance, but they provide a picture of her conduct on the night of her disappearance. That, John, is frustrating. They're like victimizing her. It's victim shaming. It's being like, well, you know, she was drinking and she was talking to all these different. Then, of course, that's going to happen to someone who was out doing all these things. Like, no, that's not OK. Yeah, I'm also really surprised that it wasn't like also, you know, she was wearing blah, blah, blah. You know right. what I mean? It's a just very a crop top. Yeah, it's like she was a college kid in college doing what college kids do. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. We all did it. Well, police I went to no community police. college, but I, did <laughs> but I didn't go to college. I drank like in my basement <laughs> by myself. No, I'm just kidding. But, but no, it definitely is. It's, it's almost like it feels like their way of skirting responsibility too, you know, cause this is a week after she's gone missing. Like if I was the smarts, I would be livid, losing my mind and just so angry. Well, police finally questioned the last person to see her alive, Paul Flores. However, it took police over a week to question him, and by this time school was out for the summer. Dorm rooms had been emptied and cleaned, and any potential evidence may have been swept away. Flores told police that he and Smart had split off from Tim and Cheryl. According to Paul, the pair started to walk towards his dorm in Santa Lucia Hall. It was then that he claimed that Smart proceeded to walk 40 yards towards her dorm room in Muir Hall by herself. Meanwhile, the hunt for Kristen continued. Friends and family began to search by horse and foot looking for the missing teen. But after a month with no sign of the girl, Cal Poly police turned the case over to the San Luis Obispo Sheriff's Office. But tragically, Kristen would never be found. Now on May 25, 2002, on the sixth anniversary of Kristen Smart's disappearance, she was declared legally dead by absentia. And Paul Flores remained the prime suspect. But there was no solid evidence to tie him to the crime. The Smart family would eventually file a $40 million wrongful death suit, and Flores was brought before a grand jury around 2005. But while on the stand, he pleaded the Fifth Amendment about 27 times. And again, due to lack of evidence, Kristen's case came to a halt. 
Nothing says I am super guilty like pleading the fifth and then doing it 27 times. Yeah. They said something about he only like would say his name, his date of birth, maybe where he lived. It was very few things that he would actually answer and everything else was like he pleaded the fifth. And this was because of his attorney. I don't know if you remember the Chappelle show from back Mm -hmm. in the day, but there was a sketch that was all about that where he was like, I plead the fifth. They're asking him all these questions and every answer is like, F-I-F, fifth, I plead the fifth. (laughs) Like It's funny in the Chappelle show, but it's also super damning in like an actual case where you're like, yeah, no, I plead the fifth. I'm not answering anything. anything. Like that's like, that just says guilty, like screams guilty in my opinion. Yeah, that's not a good look. I'll tell you that. The years continued to pass. And in 2011, San Luis Obispo got a new sheriff, Ian Parkinson. And he made the Kristen Smart case a priority. Between 2011 and 2016, there were 23 search warrants executed, 96 interviews conducted, and 258 pieces of evidence collected. For example, a tenant found a single woman's earring at a home in the driveway that was owned by Flores' mother, but was actually not put into evidence and has since been lost. In 2019, a freelance journalist named Chris Lambert decided he would do his own investigation of the case. Lambert had grown up close to Cal Poly campus, and he was only eight years old when Smart went missing. Lambert created a podcast called In Your Backyard. Have you ever listened to that podcast, John? I haven't, but it is definitely on my list to listen to now. Yeah, I want to listen to it too. Apparently, it's a pretty decent-sized podcast, and this kind of took off in a way that no one expected it to, especially Lambert. Yeah, and I especially love podcasts like that like you know god bless these people because you and i were like let's go talk about cases that are already solved and this is fun because we like true crime and the investigation piece i don't know if i have it in me to be like i'm gonna solve this case you know so you have somebody like chris lambert or like the serial podcast Mm -hmm. where you know like maybe someday we'll get to that level where we're like that good at it but you know i i just enjoy really going into other people's work and and talking through the story so more power to people like that. We need more people like these web detectives and sleuths and people who are willing to put the work in because they crack a lot of cases. Well, with that being said, Chris Lambert quit his job and began investigating. And he provided police with tips that he heard about. And over the course of 10 episodes, the podcast sparked a new interest in the case. Now, fast forward 24 years. And on January 29, 2020, San Luis Obispo police confirmed that two trucks had been taken as evidence from Flores' home. And February 5, 2020, police issued search warrants for evidence at four different locations owned by Flores. Two in San Luis Obispo, one in Washington State, and a home in Los Angeles County. And while police searched these properties, Flores was briefly detained. During their search of Flores' L.A. County home, police found numerous date-rape drugs and homemade videos. In these recordings, Flores could be seen both sodomizing and raping young women. He was arrested but ultimately released. Now, almost a year later, on March 15, 2021, police issued a search warrant for Paul Flores' father, Ruben's home. Cadaver dogs and ground-penetrating radar were used and found a soil disturbance about the length of a casket and the presence of human blood. However, the blood was too tainted to extract a DNA sample. An older model Volkswagen was also towed and searched from Ruben Flores' home. And now on April 13, 2021, Paul and Ruben Flores were both arrested by San Luis Obispo sheriffs. Finally, Paul Flores was officially charged with murder, and his father, Ruben Flores, was charged as an accessory to murder. 
In September 2021, a judge ruled that there was sufficient evidence of guilt for the case to proceed to trial. The trial was originally set to begin on April 25, 2022, but was delayed for a change in venue by the defense. The trial was moved to Monterey County and started on July 18, 2022. Both the trial of Paul Flores and Ruben Flores were in court simultaneously. During the trial of Paul Flores, a wiretaped recording of a phone call between the accused and his mother Susan was played, and on the call they discussed Christopher Lambert's podcast. Susan told Paul, The other thing I need you to do is start listening to the podcast. I need you to listen to everything they say so we can punch holes in it wherever we can punch holes. She continued, maybe we can't. You're the only one that can tell me. Prosecutors also shared that they had found biological evidence indicating a body had been buried under the deck at Ruben Flores' home. They also shared with the jury that there was evidence indicating that a body may have been recently moved from that same area. And after three weeks of court hearings, the jury found Paul Flores guilty of first-degree murder of the 19-year-old Kristen Smart in 1996. He was sentenced to 25 years to life. And as for his father, Ruben, he was found not guilty and released. It is important to remember that this case may have never been solved if not for the dedication and potential evidence provided by Chris Lambert and his podcast, In Your Backyard. So that's this week's case, John. I'm definitely going to have to listen to that podcast. I know he like solved this whole murder. There's a lot of interviews about him. It's pretty cool. And it's a pretty big podcast. Yeah. You know, I've heard of the big ones. I've heard of Serial. There was also another one I really liked uh, called In the Dark, which is just a crazy story. But I'd never heard of this one. And I love these investigative ones where they just really dive in. You know what I mean? It's, It's crazy what people are able to do when they're dedicated like that. So Yeah, I only wish we could be that dedicated. I would love to be solving crimes and stuff. Hey, share this podcast with your friends so that <laughs> we don't have to work anymore. We could start putting our Scooby-Doo hats on. Right. Get out there. My backup career, I always either wanted to be obviously in medicine and then I was like, I'm going to do journalism. And then I was like, no, I want to be like a forensic investigator. I can ask questions and like hit buttons. So <laughs> we'll be all right. You can be our lie detector test guy. Yeah. But no, this, I mean, this case was crazy. I definitely think there's a lot to talk about. I think the first thing we need to point out is the fact that, first of all, I think Paul Flores definitely did it. Yes. I have a hard time, though, and I think we've talked about this before, with all of the evidence being circumstantial because of the fact that it does say, you know, okay, maybe she did walk the 40 yards. What happened between him on the like 0.001% possibility that he's telling the truth, which, again, I think that we've got the right guy, but I have a problem without that like hard evidence. I have a problem with it being open at all. And that's like, I think the unsettling thing for me. Well, I think a lot of things too. I think about the jury not having doubts. You know, when I sat on the trial that I was a part of the jury, you know, we had someone who was like, I have doubts. Like it's not beyond a reasonable doubt. Like I have a doubt. I can't a hundred percent say with certainty that this person murdered this person. And so we had to deliberate for a long time and we went back and re-listened to evidence and everything. And then after they replayed a phone conversation between our suspect and his girlfriend, she came right back into the room and she was like, okay, he did it. And like all she needed to hear was that one piece of evidence. And so I feel like for the juries, it's hard to say that somebody is guilty of first degree murder with circumstantial evidence. So like, I'm glad that he was arrested. I'm pretty certain he's who did it, but... 
you know, there's always that 0.0001% chance that he could be telling the truth, but he also has a lot of other disturbing things against him as far as like the recordings of um, raping young women and finding the date rape drug in his house. Like that doesn't, it's not a good look, my friend. Yeah. And why isn't he in prison for that? Like that alone. Right. And I think when they arrested him on that, they really wanted to get him with, you know, the murder charge. And I don't know, there's not, there just wasn't enough information to really figure out all the different arrests. And when they, you know, went through all this stuff and had him questioned and, you know, there was so much back and forth, but there wasn't a whole lot of detail on any of it. So it kind of left me kind of confused also. Well, and I also wonder too, like with that type of crime, right? Is there a crime if there's not a victim who's come forward and said, this is what happened to me, right? Because yeah, so I've got you on videotape doing terrible stuff, but if that person appears to be of age and no one is coming forward and saying like somebody did something wrong to me, if they have the ability to be like, okay, like we're going to press charges, you know what I'm saying? Cause there's always the argument that it was consensual or maybe this was like something that that person was into or something of that nature. Right. But it's kind of like, you know, without a body, is there a murder? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, I guess in Paul Flores, case, there definitely is cause he is going to be in prison for 25 years of life. But I just wish they would have been like, Oh yeah, we found this piece of DNA or like this thing that ties her back just so it could kind of, I feel like the case is like gift wrap, but it's missing the bow. You right. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then, you know, I thought there would be more information and more detailed, but a lot of it was just like circumstantial. So it's like, do I even talk about this? Because is it really the truth? You know? And when you can't find the court documents that say exactly what the prosecution is showing the jury, it's hard to really understand the case in full, but I think they got their guy. And if they didn't, he'll be out as early as 25 years and the guy will be like 72 or something in his 70s. So I think he's like 46 now. Well, and if it is the guy like we hope it is, and again, like all signs kind of seem to point to, the other thing that kind of had me thinking during this case was how long do you think he was walking around being like, I'm never going to jail for this? Uh, 24 years, maybe 20, probably the first four. He was probably like, oh, maybe. But it's just that thing of like that. We've talked about it before, but just like that, I'm smarter than you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just the arrogance that's probably, I'm sure you just by talking to this man, you know that he's guilty. Which, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a crazy story. I feel so bad for the smart family because I just can't imagine, you know, you just send your kid off to college and you're proud of them and they're like becoming an adult and you're excited to see how they grow. And then something like this happens, especially on college campuses. Like there's, I mean, documentaries out there about how, sexual assaults and things like that are not handled properly on college campuses. And it's still, it's like if those officers on that campus would have jumped into action and did their job when they first heard about this, we might know what happened to Kristen smart. And there may not be a family out there that's like, where is, I want to bury my daughter. Where is she? Mm-hmm. But it's just like, Oh, she's partying and she was drunk. She was probably talking to boys. She's probably shacking up somewhere. It's like the girl probably drank one night and then now all of a sudden she's just raging and partying every night. And that, I don't like that. Yeah. No, it's, I felt that that statement was very sexist and very victim blaming and I was not cool with it. But if we're talking deadbolt test, I'm putting this in nine. Yeah. Yeah. Millie's far from college. She is far from college, but it's that idea of like, you could be somewhere, have a few too many drinks. Like you live in New Orleans. How many women do you see having too many drinks? Oh gosh, too many. I live in Nashville. It's the bachelorette party capital of the United States. 
you go downtown any Friday or Saturday night and there's a group of girls with a white sash and the penis hats on. It's like, it's Kelly's bachelorette party. (laughs) And they're in a place that they're not familiar with. They've been drinking. And just the idea that somebody could just kind of like come up and be like, no, I got you. We're good. Yeah. You know, let me help you do your Uber. Let me help you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's scary. And I've got a wife. I got a daughter. It's, you know, I don't have to worry about that with Millie now, but I'm going to blink and she's going to be a teenager and wanting to do stuff. And I'm going to be like, ah. It happens really quickly. Trust me. I'm dealing with it right now. But no, I mean, as a woman, it is a scary world and you just can't let your guard down. And if I was going to put it on the deadbolt scale, I'm going to put it at about a seven or a seven. I think just because I'm kind of not really putting myself in those drunken situations as much anymore. (laughs) But like I've been that person. I have drank too much and, you know, not proud of it, but been like, oh, wow, I'm in my bed. How did that happen? You know, Mm -hmm. and it's not my proudest moments, but I was 19, 20, 21 and I partied. You know, I had my fair share of time and just knowing that something like that could have happened to me at any given time is very scary. And I just feel heartbroken for their family. And like, you know, she had such a hard time wanting to be at that college, according to like the reports and things. And her parents were just like, it's fine. Like it's your first year. It's going to be an adjustment. Like just stick it out. We promise it'll get better. It's going to get better. You know, and then she encouraged her friend. She's like, hey, let's go out. Let's try to be social. Let's do something. And then this happens to her. So it's just... It's just devastating and it's sad, but I'm hopeful that they got the justice that they were seeking. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that has a whole nother layer to it. I can't imagine having to wrestle with that guilt and being like, my kid didn't want to go here. Mm -hmm. And like we push them and, you know, again, I don't think that's. And then how do you let your other two younger children go to college? I'd be like, nope, you're, you're staying home forever. We'll figure it out. We're homeschooling college. Yeah. Good luck. And and like, that's the thing. It's nothing. I don't think that they should feel guilty for. No. Like logically you're like, you know, I wonder what was best for my kid. And you know, most kids have a hard time in their first year, but I can imagine as a parent, like you can't help but feel that guilt, Mm -hmm. you know, or you're like, so that adds a whole nother layer. But it's just, for me, it's the idea that walking down bourbon street, walking down Broadway here in Nashville, if you've had too much to drink and you're not, you know, keeping your eyes open and aware of what's going around you, it's so easy for someone to be like, yeah, I'm just going to take advantage and do what I want. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the scary part to me. And the fact that there's just people out there that would do that. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it before, but those are like the monsters and people clothes, you know? Yeah. So, well, that is where we fall in the deadbolt test for this week's episode, but we got to hear from the locksmiths. Where does the murder of Kristen smart fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram, check the locks pod. Find us on Twitter, check the locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We would love to get to know you, spend some time with you. Olivia, this was a hard one for me to get through. Again, just the fumble from the police and just thinking about what these parents went through. It was just, again, I'm just going to be honest. It was a hard one to get through. I need a palate cleanser. I need a five-star review. Do you have something for us this week? I do. This week's five-star review comes from Casey Joe, and they said, I'm such a huge true crime fan and was so excited to find out Olivia from Maps was doing a true crime podcast. You guys do such a great job with telling the stories and making them interesting, but still being respectful of the victims. Keep up the great work. So thank you, Casey Joe, and it's K-A-Y-S-I-J-O. So let us know who you are and we'll send you some cool stuff. We just got some really cool things, or at least I did, in the mail from John. Yeah, I sent you a haul, man. You got coasters and buttons and pins and all sorts of stuff. I got all kinds of stuff. And you got a t-shirt coming. Oh, and maybe I can't a wait. beer glass coming. And 
Maybe some socks coming. I, I'm i going to rock my socks. You got a gift bag coming. I can't wait. And the socks are like, we'll be the only people who have the socks, by the way. They're not out yet. So <laughs> VIP. <laughs> Keep your feet warm. But <laughs> Casey, thank you so much for taking time to leave that review. Honestly and truly really do appreciate it. Again, we talk about it every week, but these reviews, they help us get into other shows recommendations. They help new people find the show. It helps our community to grow. And Olivia, I have to tell you, I mean, we're seeing that in the Facebook group. We've got a lot of new members. People are interacting. It's like every time I open it up, I've got notifications and there's new people to talk to and stuff like that. So thank you so much for contributing to that case. We would love to send you some stuff. We got stickers, we got buttons, we got coasters, we got all magnets, all sorts of stuff. We'd love to get you hooked up. Reach out to us again. You can find us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter, Check the Locks. If you're in our Facebook group, reach out, let us know. Just send us a DM, something like that. And if you are not a social person, that is totally fine. Head over to checkthelockspod.com. Click the email button. Send us an email. Let us know where to send this off to. So, again, thank you so much. And, Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? Well, they need to hop on over to the Apple Podcast app. Go to our show's homepage. Scroll down where you see all five stars. Click all five stars and leave us a little review. Send us a little love and tell us what you think about Check the Locks. Olivia, I couldn't have said it better myself, so I don't. That is why you say it every week. Yes. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave those reviews. Also, if you leave us a review anywhere else, like our website or something like that, reach out and let us know. It doesn't have to be Apple Podcasts. It can be anywhere, but we definitely want to make sure that we're reading them. Again, we know that your lives are busy and, you know, taking a few minutes out of your day to leave that review. In some cases, it may be, you know, a little extra work. So we really do appreciate it. Let us know. We would love to read them. And if you need a shortcut, you can go into the details of the episode that you're listening to now. Click the link. It'll take you right to Apple Podcasts. Get that review in. And as always, if you are interested in financially supporting Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks to get signed up today. We got a lot of great tiers, exclusive stuff you can only get from being a patron. We got stickers, t-shirts, all sorts of stuff. Plus, you get the episodes ad-free and early. So if you love Check the Locks, but you hate commercials, you want to listen on Sunday instead of Monday, that's the best way to do it. So again, if you like what we do, you want to help us keep the lights on patreon.com forward slash check the locks get signed up today and if you can't financially support check the locks we definitely understand we say this every week and we truly mean it just listening and sharing the show with your friends and family means just as much if not more so if that is you you're hanging out with us you're letting people know about the podcast you're sending them links sharing what we do just know we appreciate that more than we could ever tell you again we talk about it a lot but it's that grassroots growth right i listen to this podcast i think you would like it here's the link to check it out so if that is what you're doing just know that we appreciate you it's going to help us grow find more listeners and again really contribute back to the community and we appreciate you so very much that is all that we have for this week's case, but please make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Lock so that you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Bye. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.